Chapter Thirty of One Commonplace Day by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Vigilance Committee. They had heard it the next day. Lloyd McLean was told by his old friend Eben Bruce. Were you found last night by a young whirlwind? he asked, as the two met on the street and shook hands, and then Eben explained and was questioned and cross-questioned. No, you don't tell me that the fiends got hold of him. Confound this thing! Eben, you and I ought to go into it with a will. I hear of new victims every day. Who knows what will come next? You look wretchedly, Eben. Are you overworking or what? No need to rush so now, man. Why don't you take it easily? And nobody went to the rescue as far as you know? That was dreadful. What were you about that you did not go yourself? He waited for no answers, but hurried away. At the post-office door stood Mr. Cleveland. "'Have you heard?' began Lloyd, and then stopped. Yes, he had heard, and his face had actually seemed to age under it. "'I am broken down,' he said, almost tremulously. "'I dare not go around there, McLean. What can we do? If he only had felt less confidence in himself. If I had only stayed with him last night.' but I did not dream, and yet I might have known. It was just the time. If the young fellow who had been the evening before, in search of fun, could have looked on the foiled worker's face just then, he might have seen effect enough certainly to have afforded him fun of his sort for some time to come. There was more of it at the Hartzell home, whither Mr. Cleveland presently went. "'Where is he?' he asked, holding out his hand to Kate, saying not another word. "'We do not know.' "'What? They told me he came home. They watched him, some of them.' "'Yes, and we let him slip away.' Her face crimsoned as she said it. "'I don't know how we could, but I was frightened for Annie. After I got her into the house she had a sort of fit. I could not rouse her, and then she moaned and cried in an unnatural way.' and when, hours after, she grew quiet, and I thought her asleep, I would not move for fear of disturbing her, and I sat and held her. When at last she stirred and sat up, and looked about her, she said, I haven't been asleep. Did you hear a noise? I am afraid he is gone. We came out here at once, and he had. It was just in the grey morning, just at the time that father went home, Mr. Cleveland, I heard no noise, but Annie thinks she did. She thinks he must have awakened enough himself to remember, and then in shame and misery have slipped away from us. She mourned so that she was not beside him to have held him. I don't know what to do with her. I am afraid she will lose her reason. She looked like it, hollow-eyed woman, no tears to shed. Her eyes looked as though they might burn rather than weep. Mr. Cleveland gave her his hand in utter silence. He felt rebuked, appalled. Had he been unfaithful to his trust? Why did he not stay by the wreck until it was placed in safer harbor? He who knew so well that wreckers were abroad. The wife was the first to speak. We must find him, Mr. Cleveland. Some way the words gave him courage. Yes, he said quickly, and we must save him. It will not do to sit down and count all lost because he has fallen again. Perhaps we should have expected that. 
Before he could say more, there was a rush up the broken step, and Holly Copeland stood beside them. "'Oh, Kate,' he began, his voice eager, "'I tried, I did not get anything done, but I tried so hard. And, Kate, I'll tell you, while the rum is all over, as it is, there is no way to do but to watch it and fight it all the time. We must just get rid of it, or there will be no peace ever.' He said it in such a tone of quiet conviction, as though that question were settled for all time, that Mr. Cleveland could hardly forbear a smile. Then Holly had his story to tell, and its recital did not make the self-reproachings of the man who listened any easier to bear. "'We were all unfaithful,' said Kate. "'Annie and I ought to have held him. I did not think.' It seemed to me last night that for hours my heart would only take in one thought, and that was that father was safe for ever. God saved father, and God must save John. Nobody else can. It was the wife who spoke, and her words took hold of the listeners with the power of a conviction. Amen, said Mr. Cleveland. Then came a conference as to what to do first. Is your faith equal to the strain? This was the question which Mr. Cleveland asked of Kate as he turned to her to say good-bye. They had planned what there was to do. For the women it was that hardest part to wait at home. In the meantime men were to be placed on the alert, a sort of impromptu vigilance committee formed, whose first object would be to decoy John Hartzell back to his home. After that they must plan the next step. It was not to be easy work, they all felt that. John Hartzell had been too hard a drunkard to yield the struggle easily, now that the demon was roused again. "'I do not know,' Kate said, a wan smile on her face. "'I do not know whether the name of it is faith or presumption. When he saved father, it seems to me such an easy thing for him to save John, if only John will.' "'Yes,' the listener said, "'that is the only if.' God must be true to himself, or he would not be God. Then he went away and left them to their harder task. All day the watching and the searching availed nothing. Apparently John Hartzell had dropped from the ranks of the living as completely as his father had. Perhaps the most disgusted member of the vigilance committee was Lloyd McLean. In his eager search all the early part of the evening, for it was not until evening that he could be released from office duty to enter systematically upon his work, he came in contact with more of the low and revolting features of rum than he had ever even imagined. "'No, he ain't here, my hearty,' said a drunken wretch in answer to the young man's inquiry as he opened the door of one of the lowest dens. "'I ain't seen John Hartzell this blessed day.' Shouldn't wonder if he had gone and drowned himself out of respect to his father. It is a great thing to lose a father. I lost one once myself. Come in and have a drink in memory of it. I know you. Why, yes, of course I do. You're one of us, ain't you? I saw you the other night up at the hall, when them fellows was whimpering around with their pledge. We don't sign no pledges, do we, you and me? We believe in liberty of conscience and free speech and all that sort of thing, don't we? Come in, my friend, and treat the resolution to be men. No, sir, no pledges for us. 
and he gave the disgusted young man a familiar slap on the shoulder as he would have done to a boon companion lloyd mclean slammed the door hard to drown the coarse laughter of those who were not too drunk to appreciate the joke and walked down the street with a face whose colour deepened as he thought the hall where the temperance meetings were held was the place of rendezvous for the searchers and thither he went to find cleveland alone any news asked the latter eagerly no there isn't i haven't received the suspicion of a trail i say cleveland i've seen and heard enough to-night to make a man feel sure that there must be a place in reserve for lost souls and i've seen something else i wish it were friday night i hope we can work up such a rousing meeting as this town has never seen and if you will have fifty total abstinence pledges here i will sign them all and then let us organize a permanent league and have a fund and go to work in dead earnest this thing has been handled with gloves on long enough i tell you what it is i'm roused good said mr cleveland the saloons are getting better than they imagine after all they are at work educating workers but in the meantime my friend where is john hartzell in order to explain to you where he was at that moment i shall have to return to the hartzell home and the people waiting there little had been said all day kate had prepared food with care and a certain degree of daintiness prepared it with reference to the possibility of one coming who would be faint and burning with unnatural thirst but no one came and the food remained almost entirely untouched kate tried to sew and seemed unable to set the stitches she tried to read and the words seemed only to be where is john father is safe but where is john thus the day dragged its slow length away suddenly as twilight was settling on them again mrs hartzell sprang up with a new determination in her face i'm going there to watch i wonder i did not think of it before i won't come back without him kate you will see where annie where are you going to the little room the little bright room didn't miss hunter tell you about it we passed it once john and i that night we took a walk and i told him about it i'm going there to watch you stay here kate and be ready if he should happen to come home but i can't i can't wait another minute so many people keep going by that room he must be among them and kate was silent it was a dreary place for a young girl to sit down alone with only a vacant bed and the thought of a grave to keep her company but she could see that whether the bright little room ever did anything for john or not it might save his wife's reason so she helped her on with the worn bonnet and the faded shawl and the poor creature who had heard before god the pledge that she should be loved and cherished until death parted them went her way to watch for the one from whom worse than death had parted her all night she stayed alone in that bright room people passed and passed and talked and laughed and whistled and sang and swore but john hartzell was not among them the town hushed itself into quiet after a while but still that light burned and the shades were stretched high miss hunter slipped down from her room above once in a while and looked on the watcher now kneeling by the window looking up to the stars and to the god above the stars and shook her head and went back to pray once she came and touching the kneeling figure said you are to eat a bite now 
it won't do to be all run down when he comes so that you haven't strength to hold on to him the plea reached the watcher's mind and she ate and drank with resolute air like one who was resolved to be strong who would have supposed that the frail sheltered white-robed pink-ribboned darling of the years long gone could wait and watch and endure like this yet the night and the day went by and he did not pass where was he skulking that is the only word for it a miserable shamefaced utterly cowed despairing man he had drank to drunkenness he had spent his last cent he had pawned his hat he had been kicked out he had stumbled to his old home he had slept the drunkard's sleep he had awakened not enough himself to realize his misery but to realize only that he must have more rum yet rum he could not get the vigilance committee was at work before he had made many attempts and by ten o'clock of the morning not a rum-seller would have dared to furnish john hartzell with liquor there were certain who could have hinted as to his whereabouts at intervals during the day had they chosen to do so but it suited their policy to be entirely ignorant so it was that by evening of the second day he was sober and desperate he had lost all trust in himself all hope in others he had settled it a dozen times within the hour that he was a lost man that there was no hope for him in this world or the next that he wanted nothing hoped for nothing but liquor and unless he could have that he should go mad he had settled it that he would never go home again he would get away as far as possible then he would beg or steal or anything to get enough alcohol to kill him this as nearly as he can be said to have had a plan was the plan of the miserable man who was hiding himself alike from enemies and friends mrs hartzell went home in the early morning after her night's vigil she shook her head in answer to kate's inquiring look but she shook it with a faint little smile kate she said going over to her he has not come yet but i think he will i have something to tell you i have learned to pray did you know it i cannot think how i came to give way so entirely the other night after i had found god i did not think i ever should again but it came upon me so suddenly some way i had trusted him entirely now i am trusting god he will not fail me i think john will come she did not say much more she ate her breakfast steadily with the air of one determined to conquer the utter want of appetite she slept a good deal during the day with the air of one preparing for conflict at dusk she came out with the old bonnet on i hate to leave you alone kate but you must stay lest he should come and i must go and watch for fear he will not come i know said kate she spoke as one almost odd she did not know this resolute sister-in-law she could but think that this was courage born of god End of chapter thirty